0: Hello everyone. I've been told to just get us going again after the interlude. So uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Nathan. I am one of the pastors at Grace Church in Bristol and uh, I am very good friends with uh, Peter and Andy and Tim and many of you here because I've been here a few times and uh, just grateful to be back and see so many friendly faces and people that I know and people that uh, we've come to love over the years. So thank you for having me. Uh, Please open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 3. I'm told you're doing a series uh, in the summertime through the book of Proverbs. And I've been told that my title or topic is the heart. So you're taking various body parts, I think, from the book of Proverbs to look at the the wisdom that Proverbs provides. And this afternoon, we're going to tackle or look at what what the book has to say in a few verses about our hearts. Before we begin, let me tell you just a little bit about myself. I like to watch TV, uh, and I particularly like to watch one of these TV shows. We like it in our house. It's called Eat Well for Less. I don't know whether anybody else has ever watched this. Uh, Sometimes I am a little bit cautious to say in churches that has anybody seen this TV show because we're all Christians and we pretend we don't watch the TV. Uh, But I like to watch the TV. Um, And these shows, Eat Well for Less, or there's one that's also called Shop Well for Less. And they basically involve uh, a, a guy called Greg Wallace who's a bald Londoner. And he goes into people's houses and in Eat Well for Less, he secretly watches what they eat and how they shop. And then he and his mate come back together after they've secretly spied on these, these families that put themselves forward for these reality TV shows, and they try to tell them about the wisdom that they need to shop better, to eat better, to be more healthy, to do it for less money, to make their own food instead of eating out of microwave meals and so forth. And so uh, I, we just are fascinated by this in our house about how people go around the supermarket and how they shop and then how they eat. And how they survive. And it's, it's fascinating to see uh, the, these two gentlemen at the end lead these families through uh, a bunch of principles and ethical kind of ways of living and ways of shopping. So that they might live better for less money or they might shop better for less. Um, and when we come to the book of Proverbs, we get God's wisdom, not some uh, human wisdom for how to live better. To how to how to live better, but it's not moral or ethical principles by which to live. It's God's wisdom by which to live, and He imparts this wisdom to us so that we might know how to live better uh, for Him in this world. It's the best kind of education that you can get. Proverbs gives us the best uh, education for life, if you like, um, a, a book. Full of practical wisdom for living as God's people in his world, in his world, under his word, uh, for his glory. And so uh, this afternoon, we're going to look at some wisdom for how we can posture our hearts towards him so that we can live better for him. Uh, because the, we need God's wisdom, don't we? Because if we want to become like God and we want to grow to live in a way that pleases him, that doesn't happen just by spiritual osmosis, by somehow wisdom just kind of being imparted to us. It, it requires our pursuit of wisdom. It requires the study of wisdom. It's something that's got to be sought. It's got to be something that's applied. It's, it's gr- wisdom is growing in the art of godly living and it requires not only knowledge but application and and outworking. Uh, but the, the book of Proverbs is well suited for that. But some people turn to the book of Proverbs and they treat it like the Christian fortune cookies. Have you ever, you ever read Proverbs and thought, oh, it's a little bit like a Christian fortune cookie? You know, Lots of little verses that are, seem to be um, you know, completely irrelevant from the next one. So you read one and then the next one's about something else. And you think, how do these all fit together? And to be honest, in, in Proverbs 10 to the end of the book, to 31, or maybe to to 30, this is my opinion anyway, they are largely lots of unconnected um, verses and wisdom and nuggets of truth that we can apply. But in the first nine chapters, they're generally longer arguments that hang together, uh, continuous arguments that hang together to help us to see what it means to live as wise people in God's world for his glory. And the chapter that I want us to read together this afternoon is one of these longer, continuous arguments, uh, which is going to paint a picture of our hearts and what it means for us to trust God. So if you would uh, read along with me from Proverbs chapter 3, we are going to read this together, and then we're going to jump in and just see a few things that I hope will help us as we live well for God. Here's, Here's what the writer of the book of Proverbs says, and here's what ultimately God says, in chapter 3, verse 1 My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the light of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. For it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. would you just uh, pray with me for a, a minute or so just while we ask God to help us understand his word. Lord we thank you for this afternoon and the joy of being together as your people in this place and as your church and we thank you for your word that we hold in our hands and the truth of your word that gives life to those who who need it and we need it Lord we need your wisdom to know how to live well for you in this world. We pray that you would help us to understand your word, you'd give us your Holy Spirit to bring illumination out of your revealed word, that we might understand it, and in understanding it, apply it, and in in applying it, change, and be transformed to the people that you want us to be for the glory of your Son. And we ask these things in his name, amen, amen. Well, three things really to see from this the, this half of chapter 3 really, uh, three things that I think will help us as we try to live well for God. And the first one is this, we see a parental appeal to trust the Lord. There's a parental appeal to trust the Lord. Now I have six children and the thing that I want most for all of them is not great jobs and great spouses and, and uh, making enough money to be able to keep me in my old age, although that is a, uh, certainly a, an aim I have for them. But I want them, when I, when I dedicated, when my wife and I, Claire, dedicated our children as, as young babies, we dedicated ourselves to raising them to want to know and love and trust God. And the writer of Proverbs is, is a father, and he's the same. Now, he's a, a human father speaking to his son, but in his words, we hear a heavenly father calling his children to obey his commands and to heed his Wisdom. And so we have this appeal, a parental appeal to trust the Lord. And we kind of have two instructions and two promises. Now, verses one and three are parallel ideas, and verses two and four are parallel ideas. And we find two instructions in verses one and three. If you notice, verse one and three do not forget my teaching, keep my commands. Then in verse three, let steadfast love or let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, but bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So the father here is is calling his children to remember something, but not simply just to remember it and memorize it, but to actually put something that they know into practice to let the truth of what he's about to say to them uh, adorn their life, that he would that they would guard these truths and the, this wisdom, and that he would uh, that the son would write them on his heart, the very core of who he is, so that these instructions would be at the center, they would be kind of like the guide and the grid through which the son does everything that he does through that they would be a governor for the way that he lives, and so the father here has just has a couple of instructions. He, he wants the son to guard these things, to pay attention to these things, to let them affect the, the very being of who this son is. That he would be, he goes on to say, Let's, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, bind them around your neck, um, <coughs> write them on the tablet of your heart. So the father here is actually calling his children to be like him, I think. My son, do not forget my teaching keep these commands. As I've kept them and as I instruct you, now you imitate me. The the character and nature and the disposition of the father, he, he says, be like me, son. So this is a heavenly father's instruction, calling us to be like him in our dealings with others. But he's also calling us to To see two promises here. As we keep God's instructions, as we keep his commands, as we guard these things and as we allow them to be at the very core, at our hearts, as we allow them to affect our very beings, he promises us some things. If you notice the promises in verses 2 and 4, he says, for length of days and years of life and peace will be yours. So there's an incentive. If you keep my commands, you'll live long in the land. We hear that, don't we, often in the book of uh, in various books, we hear that in the Ten Commandments. You know, honor your father and mother. This is the first promise, first command with the promise that it may go well with you and you'll live long in the land. Here we have again the Father coming and saying, Obey my commands, do as I say, live out the wisdom, and you can experience life and length of days and peace. But then verse 4 as well, he also promises some other things, doesn't he? He says, keep my commands, bind them around your neck, let them affect your heart, and you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So, instructions to keep his commands, to hear hear and heed his wisdom, and promises that come alongside it. Good will be for you. They'll be good for you. It'll be okay. Life will be generally okay, and it will be peaceful and long, and you'll find favor with God and man. So there's promises if we heed the instructions. Now, what are the instructions? That's, I hope, what the question is that's going through your mind. Okay, he wants us to, he's going to give us some instructions that he wants us to keep in our hearts. He wants them to affect the very core of who we are and the being that we are, and if we do, there's great riches to be found, great blessing to be found. So what are the instructions? Now here we find the instructions in verses 5 and 6, which is really the, the central theme of, the, of this chapter, perhaps even the whole crux of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, here's the instructions. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So there's the instructions. There's the instructions. Three times, actually, we're told the instructions, what it means for us, what we're to do. We're to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Three times in different ways, but the same hammer, the same nail is being hammered. Trust the Lord, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. So if you follow the the, the writer of Proverbs' train of thought here, just to, so we're all on the same track, here's some instructions. I want you to put them in your hearts, keep them, guard them, let them govern your heart and who you are as God's child. And if you do, there's great blessing. Now, what's the instruction that brings great blessing? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So we're told to trust the Lord, aren't we here? And you'll notice if you've got a Bible like mine that the word Lord is in capital letters because it's not a call just to trust in any kind of God. It's not a call to trust in an unknown, uncertain deity. Well, take your pick from the multitude of gods in our world. It could be Allah, it could be God, it could be, you know, whoever you like, Buddha, whatever. No, there's a very specific God that we're called to trust in. It's the God who's known. By the name Yahweh. And that's what that four-letter word Lord in capital letters means. The Jews were so concerned that they wouldn't take the Lord's name in vain, that they wouldn't use his covenant name of Yahweh to speak about him. So they spoke about him as Lord in, that we find in our Old Testament spoke in those four capital letters of the word Lord. He was a God who could be known. He was a God who could be trusted. He was a God who revealed himself. So in different places throughout the Old Testament, you find God makes himself known. He tells us who he is and what he's like. So a primary place is Exodus chapter 34 in verses 6 and 7. You don't have to turn there, but it should be one that we're familiar with, where the Lord reveals himself to Moses. And this is how he reveals himself. He calls himself the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful And gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then he goes on to say, And I keep steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins. But I'm also a God who will not clear the guilty, And I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So the God that we're called to trust is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of love and a God of steadfast faithfulness. But he's also a God of holiness and a God of justice and a God of righteousness and a God who always does what is right. So we're not called to just trust whoever we like, a God in our own imaginings, a God who we conjure up in our own brains, a God that the culture thrusts upon us. We're called to trust in the God of the Bible, a God who's made himself known, a God who's revealed himself in justice and holiness and righteousness, but mercy and grace and faithfulness. He's a covenant, a promise-keeping God, and a, prom- a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God. And we're called to put trust, unwavering confidence in a faithful and gracious God. In other words, the the writer of Proverbs, the father calls his children to trust a trustworthy God. He doesn't say trust a dodgy kind of used car salesman looking God. who You know, you you hope that he might be saying the truth, but you're not really sure. He says trust in a God who's made himself known, who's declared himself to be Trustworthy. Trust in this God. And then we're told to trust in three ways. If you notice here, at the beginning of chapter 5, we're told to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. That means to, we're to trust God entirely. With everything that we have, we're to trust God entirely. That the, When the Bible speaks about our hearts, it's not just that muscle that pumps blood through our bodies, but it's, it's, it's designed to speak about who we are as an entire person. That we're to trust him entirely, not just with our emotions and our feelings, how sometimes we understand heart to be in our culture. Oh, I love you with all my heart, which means I have this gushy, gooey feeling for you. We're told not just to love him with our emotions, but really heart is the, the seat of who we are as people. Everything that we have. We're told to trust in our covenant making covenant keeping God with everything that we have all that we are the seat of our emotions and our intellect and our will our whole person that's who that's how we're to trust God we're to trust him entirely entirely with everything that we have everything that we are everything that we have it's a it's a call to wholehearted trust to bet your life on God In his character and his nature and his truth and his promises and his power and his wisdom, he can be trusted entirely. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Then secondly, if you look at uh, the second half of verse 5, we're told we're to trust the Lord exclusively. So not only entirely with everything that we have, but we're also told to trust the Lord exclusively exclusively. So notice what the the writer to the proverb says. He says this, do not lean on your own understanding. Now, when you read that, you might think of the word lean like I do, which is kind of like God is a crutch for us. That we can't stand up and walk on our own. So God just is that extra help that we need. He's like the crutch that keeps us up and helps us to walk. And we can do some things in our own strength, but we need God just to kind of carry the burden and the weight of our of, of some of us. Well, that's not what the word lean means here. Okay, It's not that God is to be a crutch for us, but we're in, instead to come and lean our whole weight on him. And the, word, the Hebrew word for trust actually means a sort of a, a throwing oneself face down, spread eagle on, in complete reliance upon God. So that's it's not a crutch it's a it's a belly flopping onto God if you like okay so <clears throat> we're called and I know it's a little bit crude but you'll remember this we're called to belly flop onto God all right that's basically what the writer to the proverbs is saying here or the writer of proverbs is saying don't lean on your own understanding don't don't trust in yourself and your own wisdom. I mean, I didn't even go to university, right? So I don't have a degree or anything like that. Okay, I just a worldly wise, which is a problem. Okay, I didn't go to university, but even if I did, my wife, bless her, she got a two-one from university. She's far cleverer than I am, much more intelligent. Okay, but my go- not going to university and being an idiot, and her two-one from Cardiff University in psychology, they ain't nothing on God. All right, so who, who do I think I am to lean on my own understanding? You know, if it was a boxing match, God in one corner, in the red corner, infinite wisdom, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipotent me, idiot who got three A-levels and a B and a C and an E because he didn't go to school during the second year of his A-levels because he couldn't be bothered. And yet, my temptation is to go, Oh, I should lean with this guy. I should lean my weight on him, me. And here the writer of Proverbs is saying, who are you? Don't trust in yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding. Nor use God as a crutch to sort of fill in the gaps of where your wisdom is lacking. No, instead belly flop entirely onto him. So often when I trust God, I trust him like I'm bungee jumping. Anybody, anybody here bungee jumped? I haven't. Scares me, yeah no, I was going to say you were brave if it was you, my goodness uh, i, I don 't have the guts to bungee jump, but sometimes I trust God like i 'm bungee jumping, maybe you 're the same right so so for instance, you know there 's a decision to be made, and I kind of I gently ease my way to the edge of the cliff, and I know i 've got to jump off and make a decision, and I think okay right i 'm going to trust God, and I jump, and then I think. Oh my goodness, this wasn't a very good idea. I don't know whether I'm making the right decision. And then I boing back up and I kind of recoil because I think, oh my, no, 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 no. What am I doing? God does not want us to bungee jump trust where we kind of say, oh, okay, I'm kind of going. And we tip over the edge and then we somehow, we recoil back up and we think, no, I'm going to trust myself. No, God wants us to trust him exclusively, exclusively. To cut the cord, the bungee cord, and belly flop onto him. Trust him entirely with everything that we have, with all of our hearts. Trust him exclusively because he's proven himself to be faithful. When he revealed himself to Moses, what, was, what did he say he was? Primarily steadfast love and faithfulness. What does that mean? Unmovable, unshakable, rock solid, can be trusted, exclusively. Don't share out our trust. 5% for him, 10% here, 20% like somehow you're playing the stock market of trust. Where am I going to put my trust and spread myself so that I can, you know, get the best return I can. And so if something goes wrong, I'm best protected. God says, put all your eggs in my basket. Trust me entirely. Thirdly, in verse six, he says this, We're to trust the Lord not only entirely, not only exclusively, but exhaustively. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways. So trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, excuse me, acknowledge Him. So entirely, exclusively, and now finally, exhaustively. We're not called to just trust God at the beginning of our lives, like that somehow, that makes us Christians, but then we have to get on with the Christian life on our own. No, we're called to every day, in every way, throughout our entire lives, throughout every hour of our entire day, of our entire lives. We are to trust God. And when it says acknowledge him, it doesn't mean just sort of respectfully tip a hat, oh yes, I'm a Christian. Thank you, God, you know, tipping your hat to you like somehow, like I imagine, you know, a sort of a a well-dressed businessman with a bowler hat sort of, you know, oh, yes, I'm acknowledging God this morning. No, he doesn't want us to just acknowledge him with a, a hat tip. The word literally means be aware of God, be in close fellowship with God. So in all your ways, be in close fellowship with him. Walk closely with him. In every area, along every step of the road that you walk as a Christian, along every path, in every aspect of your life, whether it be small or great, trivial or massive, personal or relative, temporal or eternal, all choices, all decisions, all motives, all intentions, all thoughts, all our actions, all our deeds, all our words, everything about us, trust him exclusively and exhaustively and entirely. That's the trust that God wants for us. That's what he commands us. He doesn't command us to just give, us 50, give him 50%. He wants our entire trust. He wants our entire hearts. He wants all that we have. But he doesn't just demand it unworthily. He's worthy of it. Trust in me, he says. Trust in Yahweh. Trust in the God who made promises. Trust in the God who promised Abraham that he would have a son. What did I do? I gave him a son. Trust in me, who told Moses I would be with him as he led the people out of Egypt. What did I do? I led the people out of Egypt. Trust in me, and I gave the law and I told you how to live. Trust in me. I raised up David to be a king. Trust in me, he says to us, this side of the cross. As I fulfill the promise that I made. Right from the beginning in Genesis 3.16. That there would be one who would bring an end to sin. And crush the head of a serpent. Who would be Messiah and Savior and Redeemer of his people. Trust in the God of promises. Trust in the God of grace. Trust in the God of faithfulness. Trust in a God who is trust." worthy so we're called with all of it we are all that we are in our entirety in every situation that we find ourselves exclusively or exhaustively rather to trust him exclusively you want to live long you want to live long into eternity you want to live with God forever there's only one way that that can happen trusting entirely, exhaustively, and exclusively in God revealed in Scripture. But not just the God who revealed himself in Scripture through words, but God who revealed himself in Scripture through becoming the Word made flesh. You see, there's a little hint in here, I think in verse 4, That points to someone and something. Now, I might be, Peter will tell me afterwards that I've made too much of this, and that's fine, and then he'll never invite me back, and you'll know that I was wrong. But I think there's a little hint in here of something that speaks of something in the future. It's in verse 4. We're to trust in the Lord with all our hearts, don't lean on our own understanding, in all our ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths but if you go back up to verse 4 he tells us it, the promise is this if you keep my commands and you obey me completely okay what does it say it says you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man now who found favor in the sight of God and man if you remember in Luke chapter 2 there's a verse in, in uh, it's Luke chapter 2, it's verse 52. It speaks about Jesus in exactly the same way. That he grew in stature and favor with God and man. And he was the ultimate son, wasn't he, of the Father. He was the ultimate son of the Father. He was, this echo that we get in verse 4, I think, is is an echo that when we read through the Gospels and when we see Jesus and when we hear Jesus, we get to see the Son, the ultimate Son, who trusted God entirely and exhaustively and exclusively. And all those times where we fail, and all those times where we trust in ourselves, and all those times where we sin and we put our hope in something other than God, and all those times where our profession of faith doesn't match our walk of faith, God reminds us there was a son who did what the father in Proverbs is calling us to. And even though we may fail, there is a son who didn't fail. There was a son who didn't lean on his own understanding in his human self. There was a son who in all of his ways acknowledged his father. There was a son who in all his dealings with people and his own heart and his own life, he walked a perfect life of obedience and trust in his heavenly father. And when we trust in him, even though we fail, even though we sin, even though we mess up, we can still experience the blessing of long life, eternal life, good life. And he will still make our path straight. You see, Jesus is the ultimate and perfect son. And he grew in favor with God and man as he lived the perfect life of trusting God entirely and exclusively and exhaustively. But actually, what happened to Jesus was he didn't have a long life, did he, in verse two. He didn't have years and years and years. He wasn't a man who knew A peaceful life. He found favor with man and had great popularity for a time. And then they turned on him and they put him to death. So Jesus was a man whose life was cut short. He experienced hatred. He wasn't rich and wealthy and prosperous. And he died. But he did all of those things. So that you and I may have an eternal life where length of days and years of eternal life and eternal peace can be added to us, where we have found through him favor with God. So when we trust him entirely and exclusively and exhaustively, when we put our hope in God and his promise of a savior, when we put our trust in Christ, we can live well. We can live well for God. We can live well knowing his grace, knowing his forgiveness, knowing his steadfast love and his faithfulness. So ask yourself the question, where is my heart this morning, this afternoon? Is it divided or is it united towards Christ, towards the God who made the promises? And kept the promises. Am I trusting him entirely with everything that I am? Am I trusting him exhaustively in every area? Am I trusting him exclusively? Or am I leaning on my own understanding? Now, I stand here and I say, I'm not doing any of those things. I'm not trusting God entirely, exclusively and exhaustively. But that's my desire and my aim. So I belly flop onto him to help me when I need help, to forgive me when I fail. But my heart, my prayer is my heart would be fixed on you, Lord. Let me do what you command. Give me faith and grace and confidence to trust you as the trustworthy God, to belly flop onto you entirely and exclusively and exhaustively because you are worthy of my trust. You've proven yourself faithful ultimately in Jesus Christ. So anything that I face in my life, I can trust you because I've seen the full extent of your grace and goodness and faithfulness in Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you, as you think about our hearts this, mo- this afternoon, as we think about our hearts and where they're at, let us commit to trusting our God and his savior entirely, exclusively, and exhaustively.